0: podcaster knows what is going on. I'm currently post vaccine at the moment so I'm a bit nasally um cuz that's a side effect I believe. Um this week I had a, another chat with goblin skateboarder creator and entrepreneur Philip Halton, my good friend. Um and we were talking about Ireland, Ireland and Irish history and a united Ireland and the future post pandemic. Talking about the spirit of Ireland, you know, what it's about, telling some stories about our grandparents and history and going all the way from the Vikings to, you know, the financial crash of 2008. We kind of cover it all here. Um, It was great chatting to Philly and really interesting to kind of try and wrap my head around this place that I've spent my whole life but still don't fully understand and probably never will um this podcast is going to be the last one for this month i'm taking summer holidays because it's my podcast so fuck you i can do whatever i want all right you're not my fucking dad Scream it. no i'm sorry that's ridiculous but um i love you all very dearly and i think i'm gonna miss podcasting for this month but i have phd proposals to be doing plays to be organizing and Yeah, holidays to be holidaying. So I'm gonna take this month and then we will be back in early September for more of the good stuff. So enjoy this one, alright? I hope it keeps you going. Stay safe. Bo What's happening? Welcome to the show once again, Philip Halton. It is beautiful to have you here, my friend.
1: It's great to be back. Both fully vaxxed and uh, ready to spew Bill Gates propaganda. <laughs> Bill Gates <laughs> fucking lizard
0: juice. Um, yeah, I mean, we're both vaxxed up now. So, as you can hear, we're both pretty muggy and hopefully can stay awake for this whole conversation.
1: I'm sure we we'll... You know, Ireland has like probably one of the highest rates of vaccine uptake in the world, funny enough oh yeah yeah i think we're like second highest in europe to britain mm-hmm. and but what what's interesting i read something during the week that uh, they reckon a large part of the reason why britain are so pro-vaccine is because they have such a great trust in the nhs mm. but that doesn't translate to Ireland because i don't think anyone here trusts the hse you <laughs> yeah know?
0: i don't know i suppose maybe the older generation would be more trusting of it i feel like a lot of there's there's more pushback down south than there is up north anyway mm, like up north yeah. there was no like marches or anybody really giving out about it that i could see
1: yeah i again it's such a, a microcosm that's blown up on social media i think the numbers yeah. are still fairly small to be honest i mean like yeah. there's there's uh there's resistance in in like common sense of being like yeah well, this whole like it's a bit of a muddy water thing with the indoor dining rules i mean i think a yeah. lot of people are, are actually somewhat against that i mean only mm. a couple of months ago you know you just needed to get a bowl of chicken wings or nine euro meal you didn't need the vaccine but <laughs> yeah you know? I mean, it's definitely i in my head i'm like covid's over and
0: then there's people yeah. talking about another lockdown and so i I just can't really see it happening
1: uh, i stopped paying attention i think like you know um, any sort of podcasts i follow or or Mm. any news that has to do with covid it's just the last thing i want to look at you know
0: oh man so over it i mean the last time we did a podcast was the stoicism and mental health one which Mm. was i mean in the throes of in the depths of lockdown two or three was
1: it yeah yeah yeah. big time
0: just trying to get a bit of a foothold and i suppose this one um kind of similar well kind of similar in the sense that we're going to mix a bit of history with a bit of now and try and learn a bit about ireland i i feel like there's been a lot of talk of it lately maybe just because of the pandemic and stuff and coming out of that people talk about the future a bit more and there's a lot of questions around ireland and a united ireland um so i thought it might be interesting to just talk about i know you're a big buff in history we always have good conversations on it so i thought we could just fart around
1: yeah, like the there's, we're coming up to all of these centenaries now, you know. I mean, we yeah, yeah. passed the 1916 one a couple of years ago, obviously, yeah. but you know, we're entering into uh, the War of Independence mm. centenaries, and, and and it's interesting if you look at what's being like what's what's being celebrated, right? Yeah. Um, like I remember just before COVID hit, there was a sort of a a big thing in the media about how Finagallo wanted to commemorate the uh, the OUC. Yeah, yeah, sort of, the black and yeah. Sorry, <laughs> the, yeah, the, like the org, the Oxys and stuff. And yeah. it was like, you know, there's massive backlash to that. And Finnegale's point of view was, oh well, we should be more grown up now and we should be able to celebrate those who terrorize us. But fuck no. Uh, <laughs> no, because even the British don't celebrate that. You know, it's like oh, why man. do we give this uh the time of day even if murder murdered no bastards? Like... Yeah, so you know, like I I've, look, um I mean I'm all for like reconciliation and pushing yeah. and forward and, and to be honest like I, I like the idea of using the past to guide you through the future but don't oh, yeah. hold it against people or as a reason not to be friends with people right you know i think that's there's yeah. no there's no benefit to that really you know but mm. certainly be aware of it i, I think ireland uh, is is different to the uk in that we we we've we a really like heavy focus on on history on our own history in schools whereas i feel like in the uk it's it's kind of blindsided by uh I mean, look, it's all like, you know, somewhat state propaganda in a sense, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, we're, I think as a country, we're a little bit more in touch with our history than...
0: I think it's easier probably for us to be in touch with our history because we didn't have a fucking empire that tried to take over the world. (laughs) (laughs) They're a bit like, you ever see that meme with, uh, I think it was the Mitchell and Webb show, when it's like them realizing, they're like, wait, are we the bad guys in this? Oh, (laughs) shit. Um, I think there's a real, obviously, because the way things are now kind of, there's there's not much respect for empires and colonialism. And that's kind of a weird divide in the British identity that they have. Mm. I mean, that that was their whole thing for the majority of history. And Ireland fell under that remit. Ireland is in the unique position of never having invaded anybody, but not that we haven't like the whole history of Ireland is bloody conflict. Like as far back really as you can go Mm. from like the Vikings coming over, pillaging kind of, half planting irish people as well in the east and then obviously the british coming over in 1169 and then 800 years of fighting and then the irish fighting other irish and tribes and that was i was reading that earlier actually it was interesting the only reason the british couldn't immediately take over ireland was because ireland didn't actually have an army because it was all split up by like different tribes so you couldn't like just defeat the irish army and then you own the place. you had to go around and fight all these different groups that all hated each other <laughs> to try and take yeah. it over. That's why it was impossible to actually get a foothold on it because.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was... I mean, um, like the introduction mm. to, I mean, look, it was the Normans at the time, but what, mm. what when most people equate like 800 years of, of British rule, it's, mm. it's, it's partially 800. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Norman rule for the start of it at least. Um, but like that was, that was from Strongbow who was essentially like a down and Richard out. Declare. Um, yeah. He was, mm. he was a sort of a down and out in, um, in, in Britain, I think he he was Welsh. Uh, yeah, he, he was. Yeah. he was on the wrong side of a of a plot to replace the king, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And basically, he's seen an opportunity in Ireland because, um, yep. uh I'm fucking up all these names here now. But is it Dermot MacMurray, I think like the king of Leinster, yeah, yeah, I think who it was who was chased mm-hmm. chased out of Leinster at the time, and then uh, fled to try and get help, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, offered Strongbow his, his 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 king his kingdom when he died. Um and if you ever go into the National Gallery of Ireland you'll see this beautiful painting of that scene uh taking place with his daughter Eva, I think it is, marrying Strongbow. Um, but anyway, that was the introduction to to Norman rule in Ireland. But yeah. what the Normans done was they exploited something that was always there, and it was the hatred of your neighbour, you know, because the yeah. Normans could come in and they would basically go from tribe to tribe and say oh, well, you hate your neighbor, right? And, and mm. like so much more than you hate us. So we'll help yeah. you defeat your neighbor. <laughs> but then they did that and then they take over the guy they just helped and they just kept rolling that ball time yeah. and time again. You know? The
0: same thing to the Native Americans, man. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the old uh, white man karate. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that time, I mean, that's it's really interesting how the Normans kind of took root as well in Wexford. Like you still see a lot of that, like Devereaux and Furlong mm-hmm. and like all these names are... Norman names that are still kind of part of the East. Yeah. Because the Normans didn't kind of settled. They became Irish, really. There yeah, a they're, lot they're, of, exactly. Even Vinegar Hill, a lot of those guys that rebelled against the British, which was, that was, I don't know if that was the first Great Rebellion, but the second.
1: I think this is the real, like, splinter that happens in 20th century mm. uh, Irish history, or, or what we now learn as 20th century Irish history, is that mm. we, th- we tend to learn it as... Uh, through through the prism of like you know Catholic Republicans, yeah. but if you go back you know to seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen uh, mm. centuries in, in Ireland, like you know a lot of the time it was it's it's a far more complicated scene, right? Because yeah. you have like Protestant revolutions and yeah. and uh, and and like it's it's not so 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 cut straight forward. And I kind mm. under, of understand like you know after the formation of the Irish state, we had to kind of create this identity of who it is that we were. Yeah, and and at the time that was chosen, okay, well, we're 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 uh, the Republican of of Ireland, and what does that mean? Okay, well, we're predominantly you know Catholic and uh, and Republican in mindset, Mm -hmm. you know. But you know, it's interesting because if you look at like what happened with Fianna Fail, let's say, you know, from uh, the 1930s onwards, they they shed a lot of the early Republican ideals, and uh, I suppose. Look, De Valera was in, was in charge for so long, but mm. a really interesting figure in that government is Sean Lamass, and he was yeah. quite experimental in the things that he tried, right? And mm. he's a complicated character, and it's not... You know, I think today, uh, with rose-tinted glasses, that often takes place in history, yep. people kind of say, oh, well, this guy was actually, you know, he was great, you know. He, mm. he, he was a big that.
0: economics guy, really, Right, he? yeah, yeah. That yeah. was kind oh, of his he, focus.
1: He, you know, this popular... Yeah. He was, he was, he was around for a very long time, but you know, the yep. popular thing would say would be that he kind of modernized Ireland's economy, but, yep. uh, he, uh, there's a complicated character. I mean, like I think he, he, you know, he was, he was in charge through mm-hmm. the emergency, you know, world war two. Yeah. And, uh, I think he was given somewhat of a bad name because, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I mean, like you're talking about, you know, rationalizing, you know, you have, um, he used to do some funny things, man. He used to have like Irish tobacco companies. He, he, he just to like spur our manufacturing, we would mix Irish tobacco with American to try and like, you know, make, make our industry a little bit better and bigger here, but you know, (laughs) just led to shitty standard tobacco. And and then Irish tobacco, this is something that's like, you won't find as very many places, but Mm -hmm. we used to have bog labor camps and, uh, they were used to bring, like, unemployed men to work, like, out in the West Coast in dreadful conditions. And it was really, like, an authoritarian style of, of uh, government. You know, that, there's a yeah. book on Lamas called called um, Democratic Dictator. And oh, yeah? it kind of sums him up quite well because he kept a hold of the emergency powers that came in uh, yeah. in the 1940s for a very long time to sort of experiment mm. with, like, with the Irish economy, really, you know? Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Um, there was something you touched on there just before that was like, I mean, the difficulties in Irish identity that between the Catholic and Protestant, but also the fact that there was so many settlers and so much like early kind of mixing that, yeah, do you think it was the civil war really that separated that out? I mean, because early settlers would have been, you know, Normans, Anglo-Irish, Scottish. And then the native Irish, but the native Irish, you know, had only recently converted to Catholicism or to Christianity.
1: Yeah. In those early um, times. it's I, I hmm. was kind of just reading the story of the Irish race there by uh, yeah. Seamus, Seamus McManus, and I haven't gotten to finish this yet, but this is a brilliant book. So my mindset's a little bit like further back. I'm kind of like 2000 yeah. years behind, whereas oftentimes <laughs> the most interesting part of Irish history for me is kind of like probably from the Viking age upwards, you know? Yeah. Um, but when it's you learn then on the sort of, uh, you know, like, really and truly like Irish people are just made up of waves of, of European migrants, you know, from, mm. uh, from Greece, from Northern Spain, uh, even we think parts of Africa. Okay. Um, and then obviously like Germanic tribes and, and, and Celts just like constantly like spilling over time and time again, you know, mm. uh, it's interesting if you look at like the Roman, uh, Roman era of, like, of Irish history and, and how they never actually came over here. But they were they were well-versed in Ireland. They knew full well that we had very, very fertile land. Because the Roman,
0: Yeah, the Romans never made it to Ireland, did they? They just kind of... No, not far really. As like, went, they, yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much. And mm. I'm not sure whether that was just to do with, like, politics in Rome at the time, uh, you know, not wanting to constantly go on with more and more conquering and yep. expansion or wars or, or whatever mm. other... Many issues were probably taking place at the mm. time. But, like, we were... You know, but if you ever look at Ptolemy's map, it's insanely accurate of Ireland, you know. So <laughs> they were very, very like well versed on on what we had here. And Ireland, uh-huh. funny enough, um, like we were very well renowned for uh like you know, jewellery work and I don't know why I think we had something like like three times as much gold uh-huh. like nat- naturally occurring in Ireland than uh, all of Britain, like all of all of England, Wales and Scotland. Uh-huh. So we were really rich in like in 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 grazing, we had a a lot of forestry and then obviously tons of gold too. So uh, it's surprising that we didn't get taken over really, you know?
0: Yeah, particularly by the Romans. I mean, what do they call Ireland? Hibernia. The land yeah, of winter.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah land, <laughs> ne- land of never-ending winter. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of made it
0: as far as, I mean, Scotland, and then they were like, fuck it, we'll just build a wall.
1: Build a wall. They're, they're yeah. too much trouble. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another thing as well. they were really renowned as fierce warriors. They kind of knew not to fuck with us. And I mean, yeah. over time, like, you know, Irish Irish tribes and Irish warriors would have been uh, hired mm. hired mercenaries for, uh, yep. for the Romans, you know, too. Mm. So uh, we were well-respected for for being mad bastards basically you know
0: yeah i mean that kind of seems to be the history of ireland like that kind of uh, just constant combat but then the fractionation into different tribes and kind of i guess i wonder how you get like where does the modern ireland fit into that like we're now this kind of like european Mm -hmm. like progressive like wealthy i mean the north is a bit different but i mean the south is like a different place entirely even people i know that have lived there since like from like my grandparents' time and stuff, like the transformation is mental. Like a pub back then was like a couple of barrels with a bit of straw in the ground, <laughs> and it closed at ten o'clock, and women yeah. weren't allowed in, and it was like you know something that a stable or something.
1: Where, yeah, you know it's it's <clears throat> funny, man. I mean, like, look, I've got you know, you you less than me because you spent so much time in up north now, but like yeah. I obviously have like a skewed perspective of Ireland from. Dublin. Somebody who's who's grown up in Dublin their whole lives, yep. and and I, I suppose I am in a unique position where I'm I'm actually the only dub. Me and my sister are the only Dubs in our whole family, and the rest of us are uh, Longford and and Meath mostly. Mm. Right, yeah. so uh, you kind of you do get a like I'd spend a lot of time down in Longford and, and trying to understand things from more of a rural perspective and stuff like that as well. But your view of Ireland is very skewed when you live in Dublin. Yeah, you're,
0: Dublin's you're, kind of an illusion, isn't it? It's like a, yeah, yeah a hallucination. It's a, it's a funny
1: place dude and especially Mm. like in a time of social media you start to realize how how differing a lot of opinions on on how to live and ways of life are and stuff like that you know Mm. um so like my experience up north right like Mm -hmm. is is solely restricted to uh history books and my time skateboarding up north right and i have to say this about skateboarding in belfast um from the first time i recall going up there i remember being really taken aback the first time i seen a British flag uh, on Irish turf, right? And oh, it was a bit—it was a bit like a hard, hard, hard to get over. And I, I never yeah. I, it always <sighs> still strikes me time and time again as I go mm. up there, right? But it's interesting how, like, the moment you go through the skate park gates, that stuff just falls by the wayside. You, mm. That's just not relevant. People are there yep. to just enjoy their company. It doesn't matter what your second name is, how you pronounce your, your o's or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, how you pronounce your H's. Your yes. H's. So, uh, so that's, and look, I think that's mm. a, I think that's a general thing of like the next generation of like our generation coming up are, mm. are probably going to put that stuff on the shelf for the most part. Yeah. Right well, there's
0: an interesting juxtaposition there between like, I mean, you touched on the fact that it's a hundred years of partition this year. And obviously that was the creation of the, the, the Northern Ireland as it's called. Um, but that's still kind of, I mean, heavily celebrated. It's such a weird kind of experiment to bisect a country in two like this and to have two, to try and make two countries on one Island basically.
1: Yeah. Um, and it doesn't make sense, really. Like from an economic point of view, from oh, it's a completely practical completely you know, from, from yeah, tr- just from a practical point of view on like mm. so many different fronts, it's uh, yeah. and like something like the pandemic throws that across. Uh, yeah. You know, of 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 like we couldn't really have the zero COVID. Ugh, I mean, look, there's plenty of arguments for this, but I don't. Yeah. It would have been somewhat difficult for us to have had like. Unless we go down the shared island approach, and it's just difficult, you know. So Yeah, to
0: have like one health service or one kind of response to it. I think that really, yeah, it did highlight that in the pandemic, the just how difficult it was to manage that. Like one of the first pe- people that came into Ireland, I'm pretty sure, went up to Larne on the bus or something mm. and had COVID, and obviously there was no, there's no way of communicating that. Like it's because it's just no. you get a bus up and back,
1: exactly.
0: Um, but yeah, the I mean. The identity of that and the tribalism that was created as a result of that, but I suppose the tribalism was created as a result of the plantation of Ulster,
1: mm-hmm. really.
0: And it's strange to see how much that still is present, in a sense, in the North, how long it's gone on for and how, you know, how entrenched it is in a lot of areas. I I mean, like I feel like time will kind of run it out, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we we look at like the divide, the division of Ireland today as uh, well. North is obviously like you know the strongest link to the union still, but yep. like that was for the longest time the complete opposite of the case. You know, the, like the O'Neill Gaelic tribe were the strongest for hundreds of years, and they were all based up north. So the yeah, Ulster southern, was the most southern. resistant. It was the last place to fall to the English. Yeah and um. then you know you like the center of Catholic Ireland is still in Armagh. Most people don't mm. know this. It's just quite funny, you know, we think mm-hmm. it's in Dublin but it's actually it's still in Armagh. Yeah. So uh so yeah it's it's you know you you judge the history by the prism you look you look at it through I mean like for yeah. longevity's sake you know but um it's it's disheartening when you see the sort of videos that we've seen a couple of months ago of riots taking place. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like, it just feels like that when you see that it, it, visually it just makes it feel like any chance of reunification is much further down. Like, but mm. again, that is such a microcosm and the internet blows these things yeah. up. And I think it's, you know, like, I think as much of a tumultuous time as it was, during the troubles and you know even into the like what early mid 1990s Mm -hmm. up north uh it's going to be a difficult one to try and reunify a country in this day and age with the internet being so prevalent
0: yeah and with just the the way that the two countries have developed completely separately i mean i wrote that article on it where you have like a separate judicial system a separate healthcare service a separate police force you know it's there is a lot of differences that have grown over the last 100 years since the anglo-irish treaty um that it's comparable i suppose to east and west germany but the thing is with you didn't have like the population of unionists of uh, you know a million people or so that mm-hmm. don't want to do it in east germany like east germany was falling apart so yeah everybody yeah. was up for the reunification that's kind of the difficult negotiation but i just don't see any future for the north of ireland at this way like you have to even to live up here there's like a cognitive dissonance like you're aware of the fact that the south is there and that this is you know you're on irish soil and then at the same time there's all of these flags and all of these conflicts and it's just you have to live with kind of uh, a blindness to it and I, I don't know if that blindness is healthy i mean it's i don't know how you'd quantify its effect on people but there's a lot of social problems in the north that are you know that don't exist in the south on the same level not that there isn't social problems mm-hmm. in the south but i don't think it's good for the people to live in this state to be honest i don't think it's a sustainable thing and eventually it'll have to turn around you know it it's yeah. it's not a long term solution to this problem Um, I mean,
1: yeah, which is, well, like you look at it now, so it's been a hundred years of a Mm. solution and it's been so rife with violence and, uh, and And then moments of, of quite like of, of hopefulness, you know, um, yeah, like, you know, Unionism is something that doesn't evolve, right? Like if you look at like th- if you look at like how uh, societies operate over time, it's essentially like evolution. Like things mm-hmm. are always kind of moving forward in, in one direction. unionism is like stuck to a certain time and age and it's not going anywhere. And I mean yeah. that in and of, in and of itself. Like I don't it's see a it. Yeah, well, I, I just don't see it, like, reinventing itself to be modern, right? Because if you're to do that, you know, you can't, yeah. like, especially in, in, like, a day and age of, you know, like, cancel culture and, and all of these sort of, what would you say, like, you know, these these moral, like, uh, you have to live up to this certain amount of, like, you know, uh, uh, moral, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're kind uh, of like threshold. you're not going to turn around and be like all right we've raped and pillaged half of the world uh, but <laughs> now now right we're turning image around <laughs> yeah
0: i know well that's the yeah. thing isn't it now it's like for the dup everybody's too liberal and too you know enlightened and they're kind of but i guess that's conservatism kind of operates along those lines of preserving boundaries and True. i guess that's an awkward split as well that it's like the conservative liberal thing is like another layer on top of the green and orange thing. Like that's why it's so stupid. You see like they're burning Palestine flags and Mm. putting up Israel flags. And you're like, I really don't see the relationship here between (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) you like their teams. We like this team. And yeah, I just, I don't see a future for it really, but I suppose to go back to like where it started, the Anglo Irish treaty. I mean, that was paved with blood and, Paid a very heavy price with the Irish Civil War. Like it, it the original idea was that it was going to be a stepping stone. It was never mm-hmm. meant to be a final yeah. solution. Ten, yeah.
1: And how unlucky we were to not have Collins around, or at least I suppose yeah. that's what, what the movie would lead. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, Con- I mean, look. He was, he was, he was like a pretty rigorous, uh, mm. you know, accountant. Like he, in terms of yeah. public expenditure, like I, I recall the story of him, like you know, chasing up to two TDs to pay back their uh, dinner bill at a hotel they were staying in for the night. Oh, really? I mean, like that's something that I wish we kept a hold of because <laughs> yeah, uh, we definitely did not. <laughs> no, no, and and it's funny, you know, like uh, I read this uh, in this really good political. Uh, Corruption in Ireland book for, from Elaine Byrne mm. and the first line says basically like uh, the harp has been you know used to symbolize Ireland since medieval times and it's true of today that in order to get anything done that like you have to pull a few strings <laughs> oh in. that's very good uh, I thought that was brilliant but yeah. you know it's like it's a shame when we look at what we've done in many aspects with our independence like mm. Ireland's come leaps and bounds and done fantastic things right but there's yeah. also like we're we're revising recent history of Magdalen mm. laundries of Mother and baby homes, you know, uh, like all of these like terrible things that we allowed to happen when we had control over them, you know. And yeah. look, even for um, you know, even for for a government minister, it wasn't that easy to turn around to the church and and stand up to them. I mean, uh, I recall that in the in the nineteen 19- 60s maybe the early 1960s if i'm not mistaken that the government was actually taken down because they tried to give uh, maternal care like maternity care to women and uh, the church were just absolutely having none of it you know and uh, so it wasn't like uh mm. you know uh, it wasn't like you could have just stood up to this thing and change everything as one yeah. person but but we did give over the reins well to- that's what
0: yeah i mean the church had a lot of control but that kind of what you were touching on there really I kind of gets to the heart of what i kind of i'm wondering about in this which is really the identity of ireland in relationship to its history and to try trying to become this modern country that gets rid of the catholic church that is secular i think the only thing that we're kind of left with then is economics and i don't know if there's any other i mean any other guiding principle or story that can make sense of our lives other than just the you know acquisition of material wealth which is kind of what we've done and maybe brushed aside the other question which is you know what do we do what's the kind of philosophy of the country anymore you know we're this originally catholic nation you know connected to rome we're almost like a south american country or something in the extremeness of our religion and now it's just gone and yeah, You're like, re- yeah what I, I- is you know where's that gonna go
1: I recall uh reading a book about Michael Smurfit before. He was like one of the first, you know, mm. it was like a trio of guys. Who, who, yeah, like those 30 guys who kind of were the you know, the they were born from like the modernization of the Irish economy and that was Michael Smurfit, Tony Ryan who went on yeah. to do Ryanair and yeah. um Tony O'Reilly. And yeah. um, but Michael Smurfit, you know, said I remember at the end of the book he was kind of talking about the future of Ireland and you know what's what's in line. And he said, "Well, like Irish people you know after we got this property boom and you know a lot of people made a lot of money without doing anything to own it it was just you know by luck essentially of of Mm. sitting on whatever land and then and then it was like um it was kind of like we lost something in that you know because uh like Irish people historically have always been extremely hard workers and and, and quite dedicated you know like from from a, a, you know a, like a a mixer and a, a and a hod to to, <laughs> yeah. to 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 becoming like you know like the biggest aircraft leases in the world and from so from technology to the fields like we've mm. we've really shown ourselves to be quite capable at anything that we do to put our minds and to,
0: pharmaceuticals know? and technology and like yeah so many yeah, yeah. booming areas
1: uh, you know like there's there's Really, I think Irish economic history is really, really interesting. And you're Mm -hmm. right in that it's probably one of the only areas where we had, uh, you know, a lot of sway over that wasn't too interrupted by the Catholic Church or maybe by Britain. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like, if you look at, um, we stumbled upon our low tax rate by a complete mistake. Because in the 50s, we signed an agreement with Britain, this is way before uh, the European Union, to say that we were going to have a free trade uh, agreement, you know, but Mm. because Irish companies were so much smaller and it was very difficult for them to compete, uh, we were given basically a 10 year head start. So we were kind of trying to bulk up all of our companies revenues and try and get them ready to compete with these large companies in Britain. So what we done was we decided to say, okay, one of the measures is we're going to give you a low corporation tax. You know, get your balance uh, sheets up to up to scratch or whatever it is. And then uh, there was a German company called Lever, who, if you look up in Dublin skyline, I'm sure you'll see plenty of their cranes today. But they came to the government and said, well, if we move to Ireland, if we locate uh, to to Ireland, can we get that same deal? And we said, yeah, sure. So they set up in. Yeah, 1955, I think it was in uh, in Kerry, and they're still mm. there to this day. But then, you know, if you go down the line, so we'd done this very kind of. It was a good way to get you know jobs and and into yeah. the country and, and get the economy moving. But then, in 1989, I believe when we set up the IFSC which mm. kind of has that weird, uh, its own state, you know, rules, essentially. Like <laughs> that's you like might the have Vatican. To, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like there's all sorts of shady shit goes on there. And that was a Charles yeah, Hall creation. So uh, anything yeah. that he's put his hands to, basically, you can guarantee that it's uh, it's probably not in the best interest of the it's country. It's mur- murky um, enough. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the turning point, I think, in Irish history where, we then became a sort of a tax haven rather than that's what like I an, always remember
0: uh, from growing up, like from like the nineties and like then the early two thousands I just feel like was so marked by just this massive economic boon, so like loads of wealth and everybody just having their fingers in the pot and Bertie of her and building the Bertie bowl and all this bullshit. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. just a massive collapse one day. That's kind of, mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to study economics. Cause I was like, how the hell can this just go like tits up for no apparent reason? <laughs> like I just didn't understand it. And then suddenly you now I, my dad loses the bar and we lose our house and there's all these changes going on, but it's just mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's the economy. It's this mysterious thing. That's yeah. like, you know, kind I of. I was
1: fascinated by that too because you know mm. it's so nobody knows. Like when, you, you <laughs> yeah, know, it's like well, yeah. a particularly... lot of people
0: predicted it. I mean, the banking crash. A lot of people predicted yeah. it because yeah, because yeah. the banking system had never been tested before. A lot of people mm-hmm. were like, the first thing that comes is going to take all of it out because it had never been networked like that. And then Ireland was able to borrow loads of money because um, we had been connected with Europe. So it was assumed that Ireland was kind of going to be too big to fail and so we were granted all of this money that we never had access to before so everybody started yeah. borrowing like crazy and then when Lehman Brothers went down and started to take uh it was Barron Stearns and Lehman Brothers over in the states and Fannie Mae and Fannie Mac and then they took down the European banking which took down yeah. Irish but I think it was Barron like, Stearns had a lot well, of connections to it It
1: was like it's like a, a lot of dominoes I, I, re- I really yeah. recommend to anybody mm-hmm. who wants to understand what happened uh is there's a there's a ucd professor i'm not sure if he's still Mm -hmm. there but his name is morgan kelly and there's like a half an hour video on youtube and he just breaks it down it's morgan kelly uh whatever happened to ireland and it's really really well put and it was the first time i understood what had happened mm. you know uh yeah. how we i mean look the thing is we're an open economy and we're a small country so we're always going to be at the behest of what happens internationally we'll never really control our own fate yeah. you know, not now not the way we've mm. expanded our economy to sort of be so open we don't even control our own currency also is another problem like right and we're, we're too small to even influence that you know yeah. um that's interesting so, yeah, yeah and, and look it's it's you know it's funny like you know, if you ever look at like all of these human indexes of where the best places to live and, and so on and so forth, and yeah. Ireland ranks so high, but that's because yeah. it's using our GDP, which is is complete bullshit, <laughs> yeah, uh, rather than GNP. <laughs> yeah, so we're one I think we're probably one of the only countries in the world who has to use gross national profit, which is uh, what we actually make here. Instead, yeah, of, uh, because all do, the funds <laughs> are
0: repatriated, right? Elsewhere. Instead of, but I don't want. I mean, a lot through. of people take umbrage with that and say, but also like our infrastructure has been improved so much by having those companies and people have had you know there wouldn't be that level of jobs for people or that level of skilled labor if it wasn't for that so i think you could make an argument that it's it has modernized it but the problem is i mean i know economic wealth like you could be earning so much money but i just don't see that actually improving things like money doesn't solve the problem of how to live a meaningful life or how to do something that matters or how to have good relationships with people
1: to a degree i mean you need that freedom and security (laughs) yeah i mean it's to be fair
0: but um i that's kind of what i'm talking i mean like the guys in 1916 didn't die for ireland to be really rich
1: they had yeah, yeah, there's, exactly yeah. there's
0: been another ethos in Ireland and i think it's interesting that when the south became free um from British rule, it was, the, it was just like, well, I guess we'll just try and make loads of money. <laughs> it's like, yeah.
1: And, and again, that's where, you know, we shed the sort of original Republican ideals of, okay. That's well, like, like you touched don't, on. Don't, yeah. you know, don't just swap an English landlord for an Irish one. I mean, we we've done mm. that and now we've swapped it for, you know, American and Chinese ones now too, yeah, or, or, yeah. or the IMF and the EU. Mm. I mean, we've, we have sold off Ireland again in very many ways. And, and that has been a, 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 a sort of a policy for the last, mm or a decade or more specifically from finna and Mm. you know i think around the time of the crash the imf's ideas across the world was to really like make all of the countries who are in debt very very neoliberal yeah and finna were delighted by that you know so they've Mm. they've run with that ever since and now you see where we're getting bad deals left right and center we're paying large funds to build us houses and we'll rent it off them and by the end of that term we'll own nothing even though we've paid mm-hmm. for the entire development you know three or four times over uh yeah. so it, like you see these types of things happen and it's a shame again i wonder how much you know we always tend to veer towards the negative right so i wonder yeah. how much uh you know i spend too much time looking at the bad side of things and and, and not the good right mm. you know um, for Sure. so yeah but uh like what can we do going forward to make sure that those mistakes in the past don't happen again?
0: Well, that's the interesting question. I mean, well, economically, it's a. Uh, I mean, Jesus, that's that's a tricky. That's probably above my pay grade um, <laughs> to be answering that one. The United Ireland thing is interesting because I kind of initially, when I looked into that, I had heard about you know the ten billion subvention from the United Kingdom to. The north of Ireland, and that it was an economic dependent and not viable, and all this stuff. But then, when you actually look into a lot of the research on it, I mean, the proposals that were made and the work of uh, what's that Irish economist again, David McWilliams? Yeah, and um, when you look at his argument on it, and um, it's actually really compelling that it, the reintegration of north and south would actually increase Ireland's GMP massively because mm-hmm. you would be tapping into basically the full potential of the country like the north has been completely underdeveloped like he compares armagh and kilkenny and there's something like a couple of hundred restaurants in kilkenny and like 30 in armagh or something and it's like there's no there hasn't been the same input into the north at all yeah, and so I, you're yeah it's, like that's
1: that's that's going to be a big tourism thing too though you know like i think ireland's been very successful in garnering up its tourism oh industry. certainly
0: man considering we have fuck all to be doing especially in Dublin I'm like why do people come to Dublin I'm like, well that's right I mean you <laughs> see like
1: Dub- Dublin's just been caught with its pants down like it's not <laughs> yeah. you know no one wants to go and you know it's quite sad obviously I love this place with all yeah. my heart but you know it's quite sad and I see all these Instagram posts and, and social media posts by Dublin City Council saying we're open come back in and it's like yeah. said, said with a real air of desperation because mm. no one's come back into the city yeah. what do you there's do nothing then? like look this is you know they're really There's a lot of people that fall for that, too, though. I mean, Mm. if you you destroy all of the cultural venues, particularly for young people, you do take any chance of renting a place in the city away, then people aren't going to spend time there. I actually think that there are a lot of areas who've benefited from this and mostly coastal areas and suburban areas at Mm. the expense of Dublin City, which is a positive for many other spots. Um, but it is sad when you go through Dublin now
0: that's really the biggest problem isn't it like there's no there isn't a home for young people in Dublin it's very much like you're kind of you're expected to either leave or you have to get some sort of high power job like yeah. living in belfast very different like i'm you know i know loads of people that have bought houses that are saving up to buy houses there's it's part of kind of growing up and becoming an adult and feeling like you know you have a place in the world whereas if you're always renting or you're always getting kicked out of places and you're moving and there's no end to it i don't know if that feels like for me anyway it feels like you're missing that opportunity
1: yeah and you can't take ownership of where you live no
0: and yeah like you don't that's what my mom said to me when i i framed one of my degrees and uh i sent her a picture of it and she was like good now you just need a wall to hang it on and i was like <laughs>
1: fuck's sake yeah, <laughs> you're so yeah, yeah. right like it's just <laughs> li- it's it's life it's every fucking level it just gets harder and harder <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it is i mean it's it is fascinating i mean in so many ways we're so lucky and then we have these weird challenges that feel very like millennial type things and you know younger people as well but i feel like us growing up in the 90s economics and the economic crash and all of that really kind of affected us in so many yeah.
1: ways yeah, I, and like we're still paying massive repercussions for what happened ten years ago, but I think mm. a lot of people have forgotten that, and that's why I was always so yeah. fascinated from an, like from an early age uh, about the economic crash and what happened, and trying yeah. to understand things. And me too. You know, yeah. my dad was very good for this. Like, we'd be on a journey to Longford for, for two hours, and you just go nonstop back forward, trying to like me trying to figure it out question, question, yeah. question, but like really trying to get to the mm. bottom of it, like trying to understand exactly what it is that yeah. happened. Yeah, and, and the wrong. more the more you the more you you get to know the, the less you know and it's just it's <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's there was so much cowboy bullshit that in oh, this country it's
0: <laughs> breed really it's just uh yeah and just blindsidedness
1: i mean we, it was mm. the first time that a lot of people had made money and a lot of these mm. guys who were coming up and make a lot of money were guys who um you know, never got education a lot of the time, you know, they, the they didn't cat. know how to, yeah, well, they didn't know how to hold wealth. This wasn't, yeah. a, you know, this wasn't a generational mm. thing. This was like, a, you know, this wasn't generational wealth. Yeah. This was guys who were coming from farms mm. in, you know, the West of Ireland, coming to Dublin and starting yeah. developing and, and made a lot of money and, and they didn't know what to do with it. And, yeah. and a lot of these guys were thinking that they owned this money when mm. really they were just Borrowing this from yeah. the banks, and they were and do you think the, it was a time of just of like
0: bank? pure optimism? I always think that looking at things from like the eighties and nineties. I mean, obviously the seventies is kind of counterculture, but I think there was kind of a an idea that this was going to go on forever. That like confidence was just you yeah, can, it's just going to keep going and keep going, yeah, yeah, and we'll get better yeah. and better. And then that mm-hmm. two thousand and eight crisis. For me, anyway, I'm sure there was loads of other stuff, but that kind of burst the bubble a bit. And then it, coronavirus yeah, and stuff like that, I think we've kind of realized in the 21st century that it's <laughs> this the utopia everybody thought was coming isn't really going to be what you thought it was. Well, yeah, there we, were is,
1: sky, we were skyrocketing for so long. We were the great boys of Europe. We're all going to be millionaires
0: <laughs> and we'll have fucking pool yeah. houses and now you can't afford a flat and fucking Clontarf.
1: Yeah, I I mean, look, uh, you know, I've tried not to go into the sort of generational divide thing here, but the last few weeks and months, I've found it so hard not to just be really pissed off at uh, <laughs> fucking boomers man <laughs> goddamn boomers you know if it's not being a, you, you know you're not you're not allowed to drink outdoors without one of them complaining you know there's a lot yeah. of people who live in dublin city who should be living out in a fucking field and Leitrim somewhere you know yeah. uh, so you can't have freedom in the city you know any mm. venue you ever went to is gone replaced with a hotel for for the Yanks, your yeah. uh, your prospects mm. are looking a little bit dim at the moment. But you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of there's a lot of hidden gem places to live in Ireland. I'm not going to say them on this podcast, but there's plenty of better places than you Dublin to Don't live.
0: Get them overgrown,
1: but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean,
0: it's yeah, there's a noticeable difference in Belfast. I mean, Dublin because obviously it's so modernized and stuff. But I do feel like there's a bit of an identity crisis going on there that's been taking hold for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and that. It makes it difficult for young people to kind of come to fruition in because it's such a it's a place that's kind of losing its essence or losing yeah. its. Uh, um, well, its again, own, like its own community.
1: I, I just feel like you can't take ownership of something that you have no stake in, and I mean, you know, if mm. if you're being continually pushed out of Dublin. You know, like this is the difference from 10 years ago. Like when we were coming up as teenagers, we had uh, so many abandoned buildings. We could have used lots of great venues around the place because all these, yeah. all these buildings were just, were, there was no use for them. And so young mm. people took them over, took the reins, made them creative spaces, made a good buzz out of them. Mm. But as soon as things come back again, oh no, you're not needed anymore. You know, get out of here. And, yeah. then, and then you're left with nothing. So like it's no surprise to me like you know it's no surprise to me that young people will turn their backs on somewhere that's just uh i think patrick Kavanagh says something along the lines you know london lets you know that it hates you and it doesn't want you but dublin <laughs> sh- dublin charms you and it kind of brings you in a little bit and that's even worse right? because, oh, <laughs> yeah. because then you feel like you're so obliged true. to make this place better and you know i've i was down and out for a couple of weeks thinking like man i'm so bummed out at how the situation is in dublin at the moment yeah. but I kind of came back to my senses of being like, you know what? Like it's, there's no point in just complaining about it. I'm going to have to try and make it that bit better by doing events or, or, you know, pushing something, you know?
0: Well, I mean, I guess that's the way to do it, isn't it? Like if it's not there, you got to make it and find Mm -hmm. a way to bring a bit of community to that whole thing.
1: And lucky I've like found some of that as well, because Mm -hmm. like there's, there is like a, Great community still in Dublin of like mm. young creative people, and they're doing so many things. Like you know, we, yeah. you know, there's there's groups who play like you know, uh, like football and different pitches around uh, Dublin every Sunday. You know, see? and it's really nice. It's not competitive. It's just you show up, you have fun. It's like it's like you would play football like when you were a kid. Mm. It's it's organized for people in there. You know, in their twenties and thirties and so. That's really nice to see, right? And then you see. There's, um, there's guys who go around doing like mobile music venues now where you basically get a trolley with speakers and instruments and you go around mm. different parts of the city and keep moving. And skateboarding is like that as well. Ooh. The places that you use are always very precarious. You need to keep moving. And mm. Dublin, the only way it's going to survive now culturally is if that happens, where people start doing mobile events and if you get kicked out of one spot, you go to yeah. the next. Like we have a lax police force in that they kind of just they show up to just the move, call move you along. in an hour and a half, yeah, and then mm. be like, "All right, go somewhere else." You know, like, "All right, cool, you go to the next place," and then it, that just keeps happening again. I so. think more, yeah,
0: that more shared spaces, but I mean, the problem is it just gets fucking wrecked. Like you can't, yeah, as does. soon as you have something like tons of people show up and destroy the place
1: which is where being mobile is (laughs) far better (laughs) because like having a house
0: party and then loads of scaldies come up and you have to yeah yeah i
1: mean look like you know if this is a funny thing with Ireland, if if any spot is ever really good it gets blown up (laughs) way (laughs) way too quick i mean portobello the canal was just blown up it was a great place for many years too many people kind of found out how good it was and then you know and again but i put this down to there not being enough of those rather than just you know like then then it being like oh there's too many people coming here now yeah like we i think have I, more freedom like that or also anything,
0: the know? ability to get around the city i mean what london has and berlin has and stuff is a proper rail system i mean mm-hmm. if you had that you could have areas like Graystones or like you know uh, on the outer ridges could be more accessible and could be more integrated into an actual plan like yeah it's so you know fragmented and that's why it doesn't have a kind of maybe it's because i mean it, it wasn't as rigorously planned but i feel i always feel like it's such a shame that they got rid of the old trams and never replaced them i mean they're beautiful
1: as well yeah. yeah so that was the first tribunal corruption tribunal that ever took place was over that basically because yeah. uh, there was the formation of cie which was basically mm-hmm. the, the dutc which was the dublin union tram company i think it was yeah. and then um their amalgamation with uh, like the the dart lines essentially like the dublin and kingstown railways and stuff hmm. uh so that was yeah that was their first tribunal and what is a tribunal a tribunal is a colossal waste of time no <laughs> legal legal implications and uh yeah it's and we've we've got a lot of them you know so instead of you know like we don't want to punish the mm. the elites in Ireland. <laughs> I'm just we thinking of wanna... the
0: Mahan Tribunal. Everybody yeah, fucking yeah, used yeah, to yeah, call me man, that okay. whenever that
1: was yeah. on. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that went on for a long I think that was the longest one, too. You know, these yeah. things cost millions, too, right? Like, the only people who benefit from these in the end are the barristers, really.
0: The people so. who get onto the tribunal in the first place. Um, yeah. But I guess, yeah, to take it back, I suppose. Because Dublin, I mean, was the scene of 1916, and... You know that I suppose is the most pivotal revolution in Irish history. Really, mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah. where I was reading a little bit about it in the last while about the court martials and about executing everybody um, in Kilmainham, I think it was, and the yeah, just the the changing of public opinion there. That I mean, I don't think there would have been an Anglo-Irish agreement if that didn't take place, and there wasn't that turning of you know because everybody looked at these rebels as kind of fucking egypt really they were like people playing dress up or something and yeah it was a silly thing to do like even then i mean we look at that as you know history or old history but at the time you know they would they
1: were thinking about you know vinegar hill and (laughs) <laughs> and, you know it wasn't yeah, you have to wonder like did 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 we look at like how we look at anti-lockdown protesters now uh, <laughs> I yeah I don't know man you, and you, then the guards are just going to execute three or four of them and then next thing yeah, whoa, man, they're, they're heroes <laughs> yeah. but
0: that's a, yeah. I mean and it's fascinating to read about the trial because Pierce knew this I mean he said Ireland you know we might not have the advantage over the English but Ireland has their dead that was his argument was that a mm-hmm. blood sacrifice was necessary in order to do it and it kind of worked I mean that's the weird yeah. thing about it but a lot of them were poets and artists and like the whole Gaelic movement with wb Yeats and that type and lady what's her name again um, Lady Gregory and those types mm. who were bringing yeah. back a lot of mythology and folklore and they had this kind of romantic Ireland that they were fighting for
1: which and, we needed though I think that yeah. like you know what is a country if it's not its stories right you know like mm. if you if you really think uh like I've I, I actually struggled with nationalism as a, as a thing for a long time, especially when I was younger. I was just like, I don't get it. I mean, I was just yeah. born here by chance. You know, why is yeah, it that yeah. I should kind of, you know? But then, <laughs> then you're like, well, all right. Well, what what is it that you actually mm. value in a country and, and the place that you live? The spirit okay. of the place. It's the spirit of the place. Mm. It's the history, of the colourful characters, and uh, I suppose the tragic beauty that Ireland holds in its in its in its Tra- stories, right? And its indeed, in its and in its in its previous. Um, In its previous decades, like, you know, uh, and then there's something nice about studying local history in particular, I find is that once you read it from a page, walk outside and it comes to life and you see that, you know, Mm. it's funny. I remember in the depths of the lockdown, like I moved back towards town and I was walking, you know, around like different parts of the city every other night after work and uh it was me there with my you know freshly skinhead tracksuit bottoms looking sketchy as fuck and if anyone was to look at me they'd be like what's he doing he looks like he's about to break into this house but i'd kind of be there like looking at like a plaque on a wall of like who lives there (laughs) so (laughs) you're like oh yeah 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 Um, (laughs) how interesting yeah yeah so (laughs) like when you start like connecting dots you know Mm. it's it's hard to you know, it's like a one big storyline, but once you start connecting dots it being like, well, I can assume that that was built around the same time as this and so-and-so would have been on this street and, yeah. you know, this thing was happening at that time and that's, that's when local history gets really, really mm. interesting, you know. And that's the suburbaniz- of- Oh, sorry, person. but with the suburbanization of, of Dublin then has, has lost some, some bit of that too, though, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's like, that's what
0: I like about Belfast. I mean, it has much more of that when you walk around, it's much more noticeable, I suppose, maybe because it's kind of there's a lot more history still ongoing i suppose if you could say that but that spirit of the place that kind of whatever you'd call it about being irish and about like whenever you go overseas people have all these associations with you they want to get drunk with you first of all but then you know Mm -hmm. the poetry the plays joyce yates like oscar wilde these great like this kind of lyricism about Ireland and this creativity and this kind of rebellious spirit that loves like mischief. And that's also kind of tortured in a way, but that, you know, that's a very different Ireland than just the economic Ireland or just the you know
1: yeah it's very soulless like when you just look at it three, like
0: mm-hmm. economics
1: it's it's quite so i guess the economics you know. is meant
0: to sustain something it's not meant to be the reason in and of itself it's meant to be right, the machine yeah. that provides for people the ability to recreate the spirit and to you know take part in it in their own lives in a sense and i think <laughs> that's like <laughs> yeah maybe it's a bit ambitious well like
1: it's 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 funny like because you know at the end of the day we are still the most jealous country in the, in the world <laughs> yeah. i would say you know i i say this like we we have beautiful like green hills green fields and green eyes you know like because <laughs> it's like you never want your neighbor to have something better than you or nicer than you, or more than you <laughs> so, true. Uh, so so with, with economics would only end up killing each other anyway i think
0: yeah uh, i field. think if you
1: well like if you look at what's 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 joined ireland in the past you know from mm. maybe a football match to um having the pope over or something like that you know mm. like uh, it's all these kind of funny funny events <laughs> or fucking matt damon showing up in docky or something like that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. um, or
0: Eng- england losing to italy in the final or, or england losing.
1: <laughs> there is these beautiful moments that unite us right but yeah. i have never seen a country united on an economic front i don't think anyway i mean you could you can make a point that like in 2005 Mm. and 4 we were all so happy all the time and stuff like that but there was plenty of problems back then too. smoking the
0: pipe but i guess i wonder Yeah. yeah about the artistic maybe the kind of yeah the spirit of ireland that so inspired a lot of those rebellions and stuff does seem to be i don't know is it just gonna Will it last? Will it go on? Is it going to become a tourist commodity? You know, and I guess it's kind of up to individuals to try and create that. That's why I like Uh, plays and books and stuff, because that's kind of where that stuff lives.
1: Exactly. And, you know, look, I I do wonder because we're the first generation of Irish people with a warm house and, and, and a full belly, you know? So, yeah, I mean, a lot mm. of those rebellions took places in times of hardship, famine and, and, and strife, you know, and yeah. uh, mm. you, you can kind of see that like, uh, through the sort of late 18th century and, and the middle 19th century and stuff like that, like massive change happens when people are hungry. That's for sure. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and then it's like with COVID, it's like a dull down version of that because people, um, people yeah. have to kind of sit around right and mm. you're uh you're sort of waiting on something to happen but that's mm. the thing with like a slow virus like covid and that it's just it's like a waiting game and it's like it's very very dull i mean if yeah. you're to make a movie if but- you're to make a movie about covid it'd be very boring be <laughs> like, and, uh,
0: but we also have the internet i mean i think there was uh, when i was interviewing belfast playwright jimmy McLevy, he made an interesting point that like now the preoccupations of a 12-year-old in Ireland are the same as the preoccupations of a 12-year-old in California. There is no difference anymore because of this unified culture that we're importing from America, basically, via the internet. It's true, yeah. Via apps, and I mean, that's a lot of the work I'm doing on attention and persuasive technology at the moment, that they have built-in value systems to them. They create... Mm -hmm. The value systems in their users like instagram does that in terms of making popularity the highest value or social success or you know rhetoric or appearing important or outrage and our culture is being shaped by things that are very much not of ireland's making anyway it's it's like uh it's the same thing with the economics you know we're we're kind of at the behest of the world but I think Ireland really thrived in being this kind of edgy you know troubled
1: place not that that's It good, did for, <laughs> for a long time man. I mean like that stretches yeah. back 2000 years ago we actually had that sort of uh, magical like mystic aura to us like mm. the Romans looked at us as a as a sort of a magical people they didn't really understand exactly yeah. what it was exactly that was going on in that faraway mm. place you know uh but it is like I mean I think a lot of people have discovered the beauty of Ireland in the last 15 16 months Ooh, particularly yeah. Uh, you know, when you see like the rugged landscape of the west coasts, when you see all of these like enchanted, you know, Norman uh, castles, and mm. uh, you go down the beautiful Georgian streets of yep. which are left anyway, you know, mm. and you see all these places, you, you like, you realise, like, fuck, this place is so beautiful. Like, yeah. it really, really is one of the most beautiful countries Amazing. in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of need to rediscover that it's like for a long time, I didn't know that Kalini and Daki existed. And it's just, it's when you're going around <laughs> these areas, like they're majestic. And I had mm. the pleasure of living up that way for about a year. And every day I'd leave my house and I would go for a stroll because I just enjoyed it so much being right on the coastline, seeing the history of it, you know, and, you know, like, again, this is the beauty of local history. You can just step into it straight away. And I've had so much fun in the last year by, you know, going around on that boat that I made in the first lockdown, yeah. Just kind of traveling around and mm-hmm. witnessing Dublin from the perspective of the water, which is really important because however much we often forget this, we are an island and <laughs> yeah. all of our contact with the outer world forever has always relied upon, uh, you know, seafaring. Mm. Um, and it's beautiful, dude, because when you come into Dublin Bay, like you you see the flat, like, like the flat limestone bed of Dublin, you know, Dublin is yeah. very, very flat. And then you see these peaks; they're like opening gates as you come into the bay on hoth and Kalani, just made of this these granite gates, essentially. Wow! And then you enter into Dublin, and and you see everything kind of unfold in front of you. You see these plush houses and docky and whatnot, yeah. and then you see how Dublin starts to kind of roll down and flatten off. And you see the port; Dublin port is a beautiful place. Mm. You'll never really get to have a good view of it unless you're actually in a boat going yeah. through it on the Liffey. But when you see it, it's just incredible. Like you see the trade and commerce that happens in a part of Dublin that most people don't even know existed. Mm. You go further down the Liffey and then you see what's taken place in the last like 30 years of all of these, you know, huge financial companies on on offices and whatnot. Keep going further, you know, which was previously just, you know, run down warehouses and, yep. and, and mills. You keep going down the Liffey a bit further, you start passing by all these historical bridges from the Hapenny Bridge which was made For you know, you'd pay a halfpenny to cross it because prior to that, there was a guy with a load of dodgy boats who would charge (laughs) you, who would charge you to cross. And 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 the the government at the time were like, either you build a new bridge or you get new boats, one or the other. But you can have a hundred year lease on it. You know, keep going further down. What do you get on your right hand side? You get what was at one stage the poshest place in in Dublin North Inner City, which has just flipped on its head for the most part in the last century. Mm -hmm. And then on the left hand side, you get the you know the sort of tourist trap, which is now Temple Bar. Mm. keep going further down you get to the origins of dublin being wood key you know uh and and usher's island and so on and so Mm. forth and then and then the most important river outside of the liffey is completely shielded up now the river puddle which was essentially where dublin gets its name from blackpool was Ah, dublin and and so yeah when you do this through the water you see all of the time all of these timelines just start Mm. exploding in front of you and it's just incredible you know and there's so much so much history to it in just such a short walk Right, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And then, of course, if you start going down the countryside and and you go a little bit further back into like ancient Irish history, mm. you start getting into really magical territory. And uh, you know, you go back into the origins of where the fairies first came from and this Celtic tribe of
0: new being
1: You know, it's so it's beautiful. Yeah. There, like, there's so much to it. Um, I think you can kind of get carried away in the news cycle, in the social media cycle, and you only see the negatives of Ireland, but. Mm when you step back away from that and you see how much is on offer I, I had a beautiful time last, uh, last weekend, I got to go down to, uh, Rusper house and, uh, I got to make my own knife, you know, like, uh, oh, in, a for, in a forge, which was yeah. so great. And it's, and it's amazing. Cause I think that forge actually was originally for that house, you know, and uh, yeah. obviously one of these massive estates, uh, but it was, it was so beautiful. Like it's such a good time. And just the surroundings of like the Wicklow mountains and everything. And, uh, like, it's incredible, you know? really
0: really is yeah the word beauty there really struck me like that that's such a important bit of it i mean that's what all the artists are about like that's what there's a line in james joyce's ulysses about that It's something like you know something like carpenters work with wood you know painters work with paint artists work with beauty that's like Mm -hmm. the the material of it and that there is so much in ireland if you look for it um I kind of reminded me of being in Kerry for the first time and driving around and being like, holy fuck, this is like Jurassic Park or something like, no wonder, (laughs) no wonder all these lunatics are writing poetry about this. This is Mm -hmm. like, you know, some of the craziest stuff you'll ever see.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Even, even like, Patrick Kavanagh could write about Monaghan, which would be one of the, probably, lesser, I mean, like... I couldn't, yeah, think, lesser I couldn't
0: think of two lines about Monaghan. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I had to write a poem about Monaghan, it'd probably be, like, apple greens, petrol stations. But, like, <laughs> um, but yeah. that's the thing, yeah, and that kind of, I mean, it's not, there are other countries with that, but there was just something about Ireland that seemed to switch people on about it. Like, that, Patrick Kavanagh, Seamus Heaney, like, writing about spuds in the ground, and... Mm-hmm. Just the the rawness of the whole thing,
1: the simplicity, and then there's also mm. that uh, I don't want to say simplicity, but I, I think like the simple nature of Irish people, and uh, it's mm. very easy going. and we take things like very very stoically, I suppose. Like most Irish people you talk to down the country, everything's very relaxed and slow motion, and mm. you know you don't really you don't really ask for too much, I suppose, which is. kind of nice like i mean you go to a city like any city dublin or or any european city everything's very fast-paced and Mm. people are always wanting more you know do things quicker get more stuff and uh you go down to the countryside you get a little bit of a slower pace like i i get the insight into farming on a small farm just for my family and um it's really interesting you know like my my granddad would have been a um oh god what's the name for it um a cattle dealer and uh basically he would have gone from farm to farm and, and bought a cow for a little bit cheaper, brought it to the fair and essentially gotten paid just for that, you know, And mm. uh, it was a very difficult, very difficult job. And then at one point they changed the system whereby they kind of cut the cattle dealers out They They were like, ah, oh, these lads are making too much cash off the side. Now you got to get rid of them, <laughs> right. You know, but uh, when, when I get to go around Longford, I get to think about that. Now I'm driving this, but like they would have walked everything, dude. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're walking, like day in day out 10 hours a day or something like that just from town to town village to village and farm to farm you know yeah. and uh it's such a different lifestyle to what we have today there's funny enough there's actually um i never met my granddad but there's a, a reeling in the years uh part that he's on and i think it's 1962 really? and he's in a market down i think i think you put that up before on instagram yeah yeah i put it up before i think it's it. think it's outside of granite in Longford, mm. but. He's basically being asked, like, what do you think about, you know, uh, immigrants coming into Ireland? And uh, he says something along the lines of, uh, you know, well, we're a nation of people in ourselves who have gone all over the world. Uh, mm. So it, it wouldn't be right for us to not welcome people here, essentially. Yeah. You know? And it's very beautiful. I, again, I never actually met the man, but I uh, well, well have a lot of sentimentality for that, you know. Um, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a movie, I think, as well, worth watching as well, called Flight of the Dubs. Have you ever seen that one? No, I've never seen it. I think it's like late 70s. Um, but it's a really good movie about two children who mm. flee their horrible English uncle to yeah. stay with their grandmother in the West Coast of, of Ireland, you know, and uh, there's a part where they land into Dublin on a St. Patrick's Day parade mm. and they're going through all of the city and the whole song is quite beautiful, but it's along the lines of you don't have to be Irish to be Irish. Yeah. And I, I really, really like that because mm. um, like, I've got a lot of friends who have moved over to here from different parts of the world they weren't necessarily born here but they're more irish than most people yeah. that i you know because they you get in like the spirit any, of the thing <laughs> yeah well anybody who like just embraces it i mean like yeah, fuck the sure. passport fuck just by chance being born here it's like someone mm. who embraces irish culture and irish history and wants to see this place do better to mm. me is an irish person like you yeah know, that's what that's what it, it is, is so in my right. book, anyway mm. you know
0: yeah that kind of right when you're telling that story there it reminded me of uh my my granddad's from wexford um like where Bag and Bun was and the Normans and stuff. And they used to, mm-hmm. his, um, his grandfather was a man called John Carley who survived three shipwrecks off the coast of Wexford. <laughs> and he was, uh, he was born with a call, which is like the, the amniotic sac from the womb is on your head yeah. when the baby's born. And they say, if a man is born with a call, he'll never die at sea. And so this motherfucker really took it the extra mile. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. He was sunk off the coast, but, uh, once by, uh, in a Navy boat or something, it was like a world war two or world war one, they got hit and uh, the boat was sunk and he survived that. And then he was sunk during the civil war. He was on a <laughs> boat. It was a massive, I, it's, there's a plaque and a commemoration to it in Wexford because everybody on board died. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was the only one that survived and Holy it, shit. It was yeah they You're,
1: were, mm. this is your granddad.
0: My granddad's granddad, a man called John Carly. But uh, So
1: he he's the embodiment of Uncle Albert from Only Fools and Horses. Like. <laughs> yeah, about
0: <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> how he how he survived was so they were transporting cattle in this boat, and then the boat started sinking, obviously, and it was pitch black at night. And he was the only one there and he could hear them all like screaming and stuff and the cattle drowning and everything and trying to get them out. But he managed to get a piece of driftwood and he stood up on it and then he took his, his <laughs> shirt off that he had and he sailed himself back to Ireland. <laughs> and he <That's>... was, out, <laughs> he was out at sea for a, a, at least a day or two, just standing with his shirt, <laughs> using it as a sail to get back to Ireland. Holy and then shit. when he got there, Obviously, it was the middle of the Civil War, so he had to climb up all this cliff. So he was basically naked by the time he got there because all his clothes had been pulled off. And he was like running around in Civil War Ireland in the nip, trying to get into people's houses to be like, look, (laughs) I've been shipwrecked. And so they all thought he was in the IRA or something. (laughs) They were like kicking him out. So eventually he got to the police and um, they all thought he was dead because everybody else on board had died. But they sent word to my great granny at the time and said, you know, John's Mm -hmm. been found. So she starts going there, like across the country to where he was. I don't I think it was in Waterford or somewhere. She starts going to him and then he starts going back to her. So they both miss each other. And then uh, (laughs) she ended up in Waterford and he ended up there. And then eventually they were reunited. But he was an undrownable man. There was a documentary about it actually called Into the Blue on RTE. I'll definitely watch that. My granddad was in. Uh, but um, that's,
1: that's the type of men we once used to produce in Ireland. Yeah, um, not not anymore, man. I'd fucking no, well, cut you No, know, <laughs> it's, it's It's funny because uh, like back during the, the, the emergency, like mm-hmm. World War Two, when we were using our own t- uh, merchant ships to collect materials and, and so on, a coal or whatever from Britain, there was a common joke that like those boats were more dangerous than the German torpedoes that targeted them. They were so in bits and we were so broke. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that like it was more of a death sentence to just Mm. get on one of these ships than it was to get hit by a torpedo. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then, um, well, there's an interesting thing. I spent time up in Donegal last, last summer. And um, I think as a Tarantella, there's like their version basically of of Irish traditional music has a, has like a very strong Spanish or Italian uh, input into it because Mm. of shipwrecked sailors over the years off the coast of Donegal. Who basically would wash up on the shore of Ireland and then just right fuck it we're, we're here now you know
0: yeah <laughs>
1: really there was a bunch of yeah. Germans
0: as well that were that their U boat sank off Kerry and they were imprisoned and then they just decided to stay because they were wow. like, oh yeah this is pretty sound yeah I guess we'll not go back to well, there's to a dream.
1: there's a funny story in the Ronnie Drew book of one of his friends um, who basically wanted to learn how to play the trumpet but he lived in a house in Black Rock in yeah. Dublin. And, you know, it's a very loud instrument to try and learn. So what he used to do is he'd walk out into Dublin Bay whenever the tide was out, but you couldn't control that. So sometimes he'd have to go at like one or two in the morning, you know, yeah. uh, whenever the tide was out just to play. So he'd done that one night, and this is during World War Two, and um, he was tackled to the ground by six policemen who thought he was signaling to a German U-boat to come into Dublin Bay. <laughs> Which, of course, makes no sense because they're underwater in the first place, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you'd signal
0: to them. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's a quintessentially Irish story. I Man, like I just, love
0: those, like, Ronnie Drew and the Dubliners stories of them just, like, getting so yeah. buckle drunk and just wrecking the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a, yeah, it's a, I mean, we have so much going for us for such a small place. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know any other small fucking island rock that has as much history and culture. An
1: and we're so uh we're so notable around the world as well you know mm. like everybody knows us really. yeah whether that's Everyone a good knows... thing or not really. well yeah sometimes <laughs> yeah i mean look uh you know if if ever you're in most parts of the world and someone thinks you're english as soon as they find out you're irish they're usually oh i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> yeah I'm sorry you know I that was it. it
0: on holidays you always had to have one guy wearing an ireland jersey or a celtic jersey so nobody like um, you're english yeah
1: my mammy be very cheeky now i recall us being in france one time and if you ever had a street trader who was kind of trying to bother you or sell you something like that and be yep. like you know you know no, no, i'm fine and be like oh where are you from where are you from it's like oh oh we're english you know like but if ever <laughs> you're doing if ever you were doing anything like sound or getting along with someone oh i'm irish yeah you know so <laughs> and i, I we um, used to have a well, this is probably a bit bad out, but I recall years ago, like, you know, yeah. being blind, drunk, going through the streets of, uh, of Barcelona yeah. and just being like, England, you know, just uh, being assholes, basically, <laughs> just you know, so it's, to be English. It's, it's, it's funny to be able uh, to shapeshift, you know, when you need to.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you have to be, you know, I can be English, I can be Italian, I can do whatever's necessary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> man, it was so funny watching that match in the Euros in the lower Ormo in Belfast, like you'd swear Ireland won the Euros. Yeah. with the way people were getting on there was like tops off mm-hmm. everybody on each other's shoulders we were like shouting and screaming and everybody thought we were italian for some reason <laughs> but um, it was just like oh man what a way well, to bring people together.
1: I I, I kind of said this before the match or even before they got mm. to the final. I said the best possible outcome is for England to lose it on the last kick oh, of the last minute of extra second. time or something, you know. And it was great. Like, what yeah. a fantastic ending for Glorious. such a terrible fan base. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't mean that overall, but, you know, you see <laughs> the scenes that took place afterwards and you say, like, oh, fuck those guys, you know, like yeah uh, at least they reason. were trashing
0: england you know, yeah they, they, other yeah
1: yeah true yeah not not other people's uh, countries, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. um yeah well do you think we got there do you think we got a bit of a, a sense of ireland what it's
1: about i think the sense of ireland that you you'll always get is is shite talk from a pub which is what i think we managed maybe to we're doing it right now maybe that yeah, this is it. exactly this yeah. is ireland yeah. too yeah. if you if you come it. to ireland you're you're going to get in a conversation like this. <laughs> yeah. p- pure spiel, no <laughs> direction.
0: Pure, pure <laughs> speculation about things, about
1: important <laughs> to economic matters,
0: I, with no facts.
1: Disregard facts, <laughs> times, dates, all of that crack. Just oh, go off what you know. And if anyone pulls out their phone to check Google, just throw it off the yeah. table.
0: Intuition and rumors. That's what this Intuition country, and rumors.
1: That's, it's what we're built on. That's yeah. what
0: it's, the foundations are of this state.
1: From economics to social history, that's how we do that's things. It.
0: Well, you know appreciate you talking to me today brother it has right, been cool, as always glorious talk to you soon Bo- oh my goodness it's an outro um if you like the podcast click follow on spotify or apple or wherever it is and you know look outside and ponder the clouds and the rain and just enjoy yourself whatever it is you're doing you know it won't last forever you're going to die eventually so you know embrace it and buy my book Because, you know, time's limited. So you got to read it now. And, yeah, you can buy it on Amazon and enjoy it. And, again, you know, enjoy everything else. What else can you do? We're monkeys on a rock spaceship on the way to our ultimate demise. So, yeah, have a good weekend. Peace.